You're listening to Distilling Theology. I'm Blake. And I'm Justin. And this is a podcast pairing discussions of theology and distilled spirits. And dad jokes. Amen. What's wrong with you people? You're not David. I don't know why you're clapping. I'm talking about you. Fatality. You know, starting a podcast about theology and distilled spirits is whiskey business. (laughs) I said that with a straight face. This is Distilling Theology. Welcome back to this week's episode of Distilling Theology. I'm your co-host, Blake, joined as always by Justin Van Riper, the Bad Baptist Bear. What's going on, buddy? Hey there, brother. <laughs> hey, brother. <laughs> How's it going, man? It's, uh, it's I, you know, it's been, as always, uh, a good time. Yeah. And um, I am just excited. It's been, a, it's been a couple of weeks since we've been able to gather. It is. Uh, together, so this is a, a treat and a blessing, as always. Um, I am looking forward to get, diving into our topic, into our drink. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be a good, it's going to be a good, it's going to be a good evening. It is, I'm dude. Just, I, I'm, I'm just saying. You know what? I feel the need. <laughs> the need for speed. <laughs> Bro, Bro, it was so good. I saw it twice. Mm. For those of so you that good. aren't aware, uh, Top Gun Maverick came out, the 30 plus year legacy sequel to the 80s action icon Top Gun. Uh, and it was mm. really amazing. Hence why I'm playing the the Top Gun anthem, because first of Mm. all, how do you not love this? This is also the second time I've played this on the podcast. (laughs) Or actually, the other one might have been... You know, I'm I'm honestly not sure. I think it was probably Danger Zone, but it could have been the Top Gun anthem. So anyhow, both of those played uh, in the new one, which was was great. Bro, it was was so good. Pro-family, pro-America, pro... Yeah, I mean, there was action, there was yeah, drama, man. there was all the good filmmaking things. Yeah, it was so fun to watch. It and also, uh, not this is not a filmmaking podcast, but uh, I couldn't help myself. Uh, they, you know, why they chose the F-18s for the flight? Besides the story reason, hmm. because the thirty-fives uh, are single seaters, so they couldn't. Mm-hmm. They would have to do a bunch of CGI to do that. The F-18s are two seaters. So mm-hmm. they had the actors in the second seat of the cockpit and then yes. an actual naval aviator flying and doing the aerobatics, but the actors are actually there pulling the G-forces, going around the mountains, going through the valleys. Yep. And uh, having to act through that, which is it, it was It was very wild. Impressive. It was very right. intense. Kind of like our whiskey tonight. Oh, <laughs> oh man. I was... Um, so smooth. Uh, if you guys do go yeah. to see it, watch the first one the day before. Yeah, 100%. And then... Not not only just to get in the mood and to like enjoy and get prepared for the story, but also look at the look at the cinematography of the like the cockpit views, mm-hmm. right? When you compare that to what they've done in this new film, it is a mind blowing change of of um, oh yeah of cinematic cinematography. It was amazing. It was so good. I saw it twice in IMAX. Yes, yeah. so yeah. good. I, I intend I intend to see it again before it's gone from yeah. the theaters. It was great. It was a good experience. It was fantastic. I'm glad we could bond over that. Now let's bond Always. over some bottled in bond whiskey. <laughs> Bro. <laughs> we are back. 
We're here. Uh, what's in our glass tonight, and why is it special? Aside from the fact that it's amazing, and we've both been smelling it and getting really hyped about uh, how good it is. Yeah, this is Colonel E.H. Taylor's Single Barrel Bourbon, which we are super hype about. We got this together back in April of 2018 when we first live-streamed together. We bought a bunch of... Uh, <laughs> we did. We did some bourbon hunting. We did some hunting. And, um, and, and we found some great whiskey... Blake also brought up some stuff. Yeah, man. We had a grand old time, but uh, this was one of the this was one of the first things we ever got together. Yeah. And now here we are. Uh, what is it? Three years later. Four years, bro. Four years, actually. Yeah. Yeah. My math Four is great. Four years. Yeah. Four years good. later. <laughs> and <laughs> I don't even know what year it is. That's um, fair. Not, uh, me too. Same. Yeah. And so this has been sitting in a sample bottle for a heck of a long time. Sure has. And uh, I'm hype. Yeah. We. So to be fair, so we we kind of pick the spirits sort of by what we're feeling for the day. We'll look through our list of what we have and pick something. But I sipped the last of the bottle earlier this week and I was like, bro, yep. we have to taste this. So if you're in the Facebook group, uh, you, you saw my post with the bottle kill with the, the bottle. It mm-hmm. was inverted. <laughs> I also had a bottle of E.H. Uh, e. Taylor. It was a different, um, a, a different uh, bottling, mm-hmm. but it was, it was, I had that. I, I had also gotten that around the same time, but that didn't last <laughs> This long, no. Well, I, <laughs> and to be fair, the if you can find the E.H. Taylor, E.H. Taylor, uh, the small batch, I used to get it for around forty dollars. I have not found it anywhere that I've looked recently. Um, but it was an amazing, rich, delicious whiskey. Uh, the single barrel takes that and dials it up. So even though you're at the same bottled and bond, you're hundred proof, at least four years old. Um, it, yeah, it, it the single barrel is just so. So good. And this comes from the Old Fashioned Copper Distillery, uh, which is located in Frankfort, Kentucky. And for work, I was in uh, I was in that part of the country last week, so I was actually driving through Kentucky and uh, waved at all of the bourbon distillery signs. Like, they're, they're literally, you're driving, I mean, if you guys live in that area, you, you know, but I don't, I don't visit there very often. So I'm driving through and I see like, uh, this distillery and the Buffalo Trace and Heaven Hill and uh, Angel's Envy Distillery. Like, get off at this exit. And I'm like, oh, I, I wish I had time for that. That would have been That's nice. Great, but anyways, uh, let's get into this thing, man. I am I am stoked. Uh, this is also a trip down memory lane because, yeah, we got this four years ago when we were bourbon hunting. I also remember that one shop uh, that we went into and they didn't really have a lot of great selection. It was kind of lame. But behind the counter, they had a bottle of E.H. Tail or no, sorry, of Elijah Craig Barrel Proof. And mm-hmm. it was like sixty bucks, and everywhere else I'd seen it jacked up a hundred or higher. So I was like, I'll, I'll take that. Yeah, <laughs> I remember you were like, dude, uh, I'm gonna grab this. <laughs> I'm just gonna take this. And I tried to not make a big fuss about it in case it was mislabeled, because then I would just be like, yeah, but but the label said I would just play dumb and not act like I really wanted it that bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but anyway, sometimes how dishonest of you. Sometimes bourbon hunting. I know I'm I'm ashamed. Uh, bourbon hunting be like that. Um, but yeah, yeah. Dude, this is what what do you get on the nose? Just what's a. Uh, I, I saw before we started recording, you and I were, we, we poured and we both had big expressions when we smelled this. Oh man, it smells so good. <laughs> so rich. I mean, it's, it's quintessentially bourbon, right? For sure. You're, you're getting all of the same sort of caramel, orchard fruit sort of notes. Yeah, but you also have Toffee. that molasses, brown sugar thing going exactly. on. Exactly. But, yeah. but it's really rich under there. It's just not as intense as our Stag Junior, or like I was just talking about sure, Elijah Craig sure, Barrel sure. Proof, where it's so in your face. Because this is bonded, that hundred proof goes a long way. It gives you way more kick than your standard eighty proof bourbon, but it's not so in your face and over the top as um, 
as your barrel proof stuff, which I like that. But I think I, if I had the choice for like a daily sipper, I would probably go more in this direction of a, of a rich bonded bourbon. And I just happen to well, like sure. the single barrel sure, sure. better than the small batch. Yeah. Cause you know, I mean, I can't, I can't blame you. You know, I can't, I can't blame you, Blake. What do you get? Oh, so I also get, I also get apples cutting through that other, that other stuff. Like absolutely apple orchard. Um, Oh my gosh. I get sawdust as well, but you know, like in that really nostalgic way, like when, I don't know if you had a, a an uncle or a grandfather or a relative, or maybe it was your dad, someone who would like, would work out in their garage and you'd walk out and visit them and you'd get that smell sure. of sawdust. So I get that scent as well. It, it's kind of buried in there. Um, it's probably just oak and my brain is being nostalgic and playing tricks on me because I was just listening well, to the Top Gun anthem. But uh, yeah. I mean, know. I think, I mean, I think it might, it might, I, I can kind of see what you're getting at and, and also kind of getting like a leathery smell. Yeah. You know, I have a lot of like, I have like, for example, I have a lot of genuine leather mm-hmm. goods and they smell, uh, they give off a similar sort of vibe, if you will. Yeah. There, there's, <laughs> there's a musky earthy note that's happening in the aroma yeah. that is, yeah. that it complements very nicely that bright kind of crisp apple note and those really rich, dark sugary notes from molasses and, and brown sugar, <sighs> like. The more Not, I smell, the better it gets, bro. And and where like your your stack junior kind of leans more maple. This is definitely d- distinctly more molassesy and brown sugary to me. I don't really get the yeah. Maple I mean, notes. there is a maple note, but it's very light. It's it's not strong by any no. stretch. No, I'm definitely I'm getting yeah caramel, molasses, a little bit of apple, a little bit of sawdust and leather. That's kind of where I'm. That that final answer. <laughs> <laughs> all right it. let's dive this into this way. man I'm, I'm i'm pumped yeah let me just get over to that part of the the sound bank all right cheers bro mm. dude that delivers yep yep 100 percent. completely oh, wow. delivers on the smell you know i'm getting aside from like the brown sugar and vanilla mm. and sort of dry oak I'm also getting almost like a like a licorice and berry. Yeah, I can see that along um, the sides. On, yep, along the sides and kind of uh, towards the end of the the, the finish. Well, that finish um, is so long. Yeah, that, it just keeps going. <laughs> that reminds me uh, when we tasted Talisker Ten Year, yeah, um, which I love uh, from the Scotch world. But that ha- also has one of those really long, lingering finishes mm-hmm. that's warming through the middle of your chest and you know puts hair on your chest, as they say. Gotta go in for more. Bro, this is uh I'm gonna play the tasting sound again because I wanna just keep enjoying this. <laughs> Which reminds me about a funny uh Pavlovian response I had to one of the sound effects we used when I heard it in a different context, but we'll, we'll get there in a second. I'm getting some I'm getting I'm getting a little bit of like the rye spice. Mm-hmm. Almost like a wet moss. Okay. Yeah, I'm getting more of that. So I'm getting more of those leather leather and oak. Those drier notes are coming at the forefront. Mm-hmm. Kind of sweetens through the middle, like you said. I, I I get less of that like licorice berry. I'm definitely getting very strong molasses. Um, that warming sensation is amazing. Um, yeah. There's, some, there's definitely some like nutmeg, cinnamon, baking spice as well happening here, which I know some of this yeah. stuff is repetitive because like you said, this is iconically bourbon. This is like right. unmistakably right. bourbon. But to your point, I think I'd be curious about the mash bill. I couldn't find any information, but I'm sure if I Google deep enough, I might find it. Um, I bet that there's a decent amount of rye in that mash bill. Um, oh, I he's going. They, all right. 
Yeah. Let's see here. He's going Taylor for single barrel. Well, while you while Bottled you search bond. for that, uh, I'm bottled gonna... and bond mash bill oh, is undisclosed. Yeah, that makes sense. But the estimate is 10% rye, 75% corn, and 15% malted barley. Interesting. That's a lower rye content than I would have expected for that particular profile. Sure. Um, I wish Eric was here so he could explain that to us like a smart person. <laughs> uh, Eric, come back. Come back. Don't worry. He'll be he'll be back soon. We miss um, you. Hmm. Okay, here's let me just read this from the bottle because I'm feeling yeah. feeling in the mood here. <laughs> Colonel E.H. Taylor Single Barrel Bourbon, the first and only. Uh, I don't know what that means, but I uh, I like it. Straight Kentucky Bourbon, the topmost class, bottled in bond. Uh, okay, so what they write on here is Colonel Edmund Haynes Taylor Jr. demanded perfection. His uncompromising standards for the highest quality whiskey are legendary. Accordingly. The barrel selected for this single barrel bourbon whiskey comes from the best location in the mm-hmm. warehouse constructed by Taylor. Barrel aging. Barrels aging in the heart of these warehouses are routinely evaluated to identify whiskeys with the richest and most complex flavors. These select barrels are allowed to age as long as necessary to reach their peak maturity. And since it's bonded, just as a side note, that means it's at least four years. Um, but what they're saying, this could... I, I would... I would guess, based on the number of things we've sipped, I would probably put this somewhere between, I'm going to go high. I'm going to say it's between 7 and 10 years old. Okay, yeah. Um, because, and I, and I say that because of uh, McKenna tenure, bottled in bond, I, I'm i getting a little bit of reminiscence to that. Not that I've had that bottle in a very long time, but this is reminding me of that. Um so anyway, so it says that uh, each barrel is then bottled individually one barrel at a time for an uncompromised taste. This single barrel bourbon is a tribute to the legendary Colonel E.H. Taylor Jr., a name synonymous with topmost class whiskey. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty great. I'm a big fan. <laughs> yeah, it I is pretty it. great. I'm a big fan. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also to that response. So while I was out uh, filming on the television... I heard this sound come on in the background uh, because there was a certain TV show on and I immediately thought, you can join us on Patreon. (laughs) But of course, instead, what I heard was, come on down. You're the next contestant on The Price is Right. And I was like, that's wrong. That's not right. That's That's not how that goes. Uh, So if any, if if you or a loved one has been affected by by, uh, this Pavlovian response to our sound effects, uh, I'm sorry. You're welcome. It's awesome. And uh, that's all I got. That is hilarious. That's all I got for that, you know. And also, it reminds me, I haven't mentioned our boy in a while, Wilhelm Zabrakel. (laughs) There it is. Speaking of... uh, uh, responses uh, and speaking of responses Justin we should respond to our God and his good gifts with some prayer tonight mm. smooth real smooth guys uh, if you have a uh, Valley of Vision book please grab it now and turn with us to page 42 uh, tonight we're going to be reading Jesus my glory as we open in prayer mm. uh, we always want to open these episodes with prayer we, we've done this since the very beginning Almost, um, almost, <laughs> but very early on. I'm glad you came up with that idea, though. That was a really good one early on. And yeah, I'm glad yeah. It it, it's one of those things where, look, we're not, um, we're not pastors. Uh, we are not um, professional theologians by any stretch. Um, we're not professors. <laughs> uh, no. But we are men who love God, 
We love the church, and we want to humble ourselves before we start speaking of these um, important and wondrous doctrines uh, that God has given to his people. Um, So, uh, join us. O Lord God, thou hast commanded me to believe in Jesus, and I would flee to no other refuge, wash in no other fountain, build on no other foundation, receive from no other fullness, and rest in no other relief. His water and blood were not severed in their flow at the cross. May they never be separated in my creed and experiences. May I be equally convinced of the guilt and pollution of sin, feel my need for a prince and savior, implore of him repentance as well as forgiveness, love, holiness, and be pure in heart. Have the mind of Jesus and tread in his steps. Let me not be at my own disposal, but rejoice that I am under the care of one who is too wise to err, too kind to injure, and too tender to crush. May I scandalize none by my temper and conduct, but recommend and endear Christ to all around, bestow good on everyone as circumstances permit, and decline no opportunity of usefulness. Grant that I may value my substance, not as the medium of pride and luxury, but as the means of my support and stewardship. Help me to guide my affections with discretion, to owe no man anything, to be able to give to him that needeth, and to feel it my duty and pleasure to be merciful and forgiving, to show to the world the likeness of Jesus. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> so many good things Love in it. there. That last that last statement really uh, resonates with me, especially in an age where um, I think there's a temptation that often gets caricatured into just a cartoonish bad guy of, of people that are interested in theology. And, I, and I've certainly encountered people for whom this isn't just a caricature. They really behave this way. Sure. But we get caught up in pride and our mm-hmm. knowledge and we get puffed up and we talk down to other people who disagree with us. And, you know, I, I've been guilty of that. I know I've certainly seen people run amok with, you know, the, the, the caricature that people say, oh, you, you love theology, but not Jesus. But I've seen people that behave as if that's practically the way they are, right? Sure. And I think this prayer, obviously this prayer is steeped in the word and steeped in theology. And yet here it is, right? To feel it my duty and pleasure to be merciful and forgiving, to show the world the likeness of Jesus. That mm. I may value my substance not as the medium of pride and luxury, but as a means of my support and stewardship. Guide my affections with discretion, right? That we we should be the most gracious and kind people. And that doesn't yeah. mean that we have to capitulate to every false thing. In fact, it means we have to confront those things, but we can do so in love and in a spirit of seeking that the other person comes towards Christ, not just to to win an argument. I forgot who I was reading from that, but it just, it destroyed me. It, it wasn't Spurgeon. Um, I want to say maybe Hodge or Warfield. Someone will correct me and I'll Google it, but it was something to the effect of, uh, it actually isn't any of those guys. I can, I remember, I don't remember who it was. I'll find it later, but it was like, uh, it is my theological study and my, pontificating and arguing for the sake of the gospel and for the for the glory of God and for his kingdom or am I doing this simply to hear myself talk and be convinced by how good my arguments sound right. and impress <laughs> other people with how smart I am and I'm like oh yeah oof brutal oof. uh and so that's yeah. a that's a reminder for all of us as we study yes we we 
we are Christians, we confess things. We're, we're about to turn to our confessions to talk about what we confess in Christ. And yet in that, we don't want to be, we don't want to miss the whole boat because we're puffed up with knowledge and we have no love because we're a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. Um, so there's just a, a little admonition for the day. I'm also reading Mike Horton's latest book on, uh, on Audible, so I'll report back on that uh, later <laughs> on. But Great. he's got some things to say about that too. So, Well, sure. Guys, if you remember last, uh, last Christo- Christology episode uh, that we did, mm. we were reading from uh, our confessions, um, particularly chapter... Was it chapter eight? Chapter eight, um, yeah. We got, we got through part about, of Article One. Yep. Right, right. Part of Article One, Chapter Eight, uh, regarding um, Christ, right? Christology, uh, Christ the Mediator. Mm. Um, and so, just real quick in review, I'll just really quick read uh, Article One, um, in this case from the London Baptist, but it's very similar in the Westminster here. Um, it pleased God in his eternal purpose to choose and ordain the Lord Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son according to the covenant made between them both, to be the mediator between God and man, the prophet, priest, and king, head and savior of the church, the heir of all things, and judge of the world, unto whom he did from all eternity give a people to be his seed, and to be by him in time redeemed, called, justified, sanctified, and glorified. Mm. Um, so that's kind of where we left off. We, we did read, uh, I think, a bit more, but... Um, this is kind of when we started to, to really get into the discussion. Yeah. We got partway through uh, one here. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but for good reason. I mean, there is so much rich um, theological content here, mm. right? Um, uh, lately, I've been listening again. <clears throat> it seems to pop up in my feed a lot, but evangelism to Mormons, and mm. they keep popping up on my Facebook. And they often make the same argument, like, well, we believe in Jesus too, blah, blah, blah. And they use a lot of the same words. This is why our Christology is so important. Yes. Right. Who is Christ? Right. Is he, uh, as the as the Muslims say, is he just a, a blessed prophet? I mean, they believe in Jesus, but he's just a prophet. They say we honor Christ. They even call him the Messiah. What, what Christ are we talking about? The Mormons believe in Christ. They believe he's the son of God who came to die on a cross to save us from our sins. After all, we can do. Um, and some other nuanced things that they want to put, but who is Christ, right? They believe that he is, he is literally the offspring of, of, um, heavenly father who had, uh, intercourse with one of his many heavenly wives and gave birth to Christ who then, uh, who, by the way, uh, heavenly father was a, was a man who became God. Um, right. So, so we have, he has all these spiritual, uh, offspring and then we can work hard and become like. Christ literally, and we can become gods of our own worlds one day. So what Christ are we talking about? Right. Right. So this is why historically the church even came up with these confessions was to prevent us from erring on either side of, um, of heresy yeah. <laughs> um, and repeating uh, some of the heresies that were already um, condemned by the church. Right. These confessions help keep us within the bounds of orthodoxy. They're not authoritative in, of themselves, but they are authoritative in, in the fact that they are, uh, exegeting scripture in a confessional way for us um, and can be confirmed by the scriptures in their right context, right. Um, which is why they're so helpful and so useful and, and, and so on. So Right. Well, when your pastor exegetes, faithfully exegetes a passage and con- and convicts you of sin, the Holy Spirit through that preaching ministry convicts you of sin, that is authoritative and binding, not because the pastor is inspired, uh, not right. because... His sermon is inspired, 
but because he is he is bringing the word of God to the people, mm-hmm. and he is expositing that text and teaching the teaching of Scripture. And when he does that, he is authoritative again, not in and right. of himself, not not inherent. But because he is speaking the word of God to the people, and because, and, and again, we can go back and forth about this, right? Uh, obviously, the whole content of the sermon is not just the, the pastor regurgitating the verse over and over and over again, right? <laughs> right. And yeah. so the same thing, if when people take issue with confessions, I say, okay, does your pastor, like, is that is that meaningful? Is that useful to you? Right. <laughs> right. Does your pastor just read the Bible and then nothing? Uh, right. I mean, I mean, and that's why that's why these people who say it's just me and my Bible, I don't need anything else. I don't read other theologians. I don't read other people's writings because I don't want to be influenced by man. Um, that's absurd, right? <laughs> right. I mean, even throughout Scripture, we have apostles. Consider Paul. How often does he quote the Old Testament? Right. He's doing what a pastor would do in that sense. Um, he he's exegeting the Old Testament for the people, right? He's doing what a pastor does with all of the canon of Scripture now. Right. Um, and so to say it's just me and the Scriptures, I don't need anybody else, is absurd. Um, but I can't tell you how many times I've run into that on the good old Reformed Internet TM. Mm. Um, it kills me. It kills me. Yeah. So. Yeah, man. And as we get into this, right, so last time we left off, I think we got all the way through... Uh, he is the the mediator between God and man, prophet, priest, and king. We read that the head and savior of his church, heir of all things, and judge of the world. Yeah, we, we left off there because we were going into Revelation and we were talking about Christ coming back to judge the world. You know, with a mm-hmm. cloak drenched in blood and a flaming sword coming out of his mouth and eyes of fire. You know, casual. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the thing that, that kills me. Everyone's like, "Oh, Christians are you know your." Uh, this and that and, and all the things people say about people of the book right and and they talk about Jesus and on the one hand you have people that make Jesus into this machismo figure that he never was and then on the flip side you have people that forget that Jesus is going to come back and execute judgment on those who have refused his grace mm-hmm. uh, he's going to execute the justice that is due them right uh, because they are not under his covenant headship Right. It boils into the, the sort of modern westernized version of the gospel that mm-hmm. it's some sort of soft invitation uh, to come to Christ. It's not a soft invitation. He's not merely knocking on the, on, on the door of your heart, right? Th- th- that, uh, that verse that people, that people often refer to regarding the knocking on the door has to do with the church. Mm-hmm. That's talking to come the on. elect. It has nothing to do with the, the unrepentant, right? God is not sitting there begging you to come to him. He's not pleading with you to come to him. It's a command, mm-hmm. right? He is a powerful savior. It is a command to repent and believe. And so if you don't, there's consequences to that. He is going to judge the world according to his law, according to his commands. And everything in this world is his to do with what he pleases. And so, yeah, um, he's not some, he's not some sort of, um, goofy machismo right uh sort of big you know burly handsome fellow but he he, he's also not some weak pathetic beggar who who, who's weeping over you right god does not need you right come on wake up call god doesn't need you right you hear all these you hear all these silly worship songs 
oh god you love me so much you didn't want heaven without me and, and blah 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 you need me and and you love me so much well uh, context matters mm-hmm. <laughs> he loves his people he saves his people he does not need us right right we need him and um and he's not sitting there waiting to give us big smoochies right he's sitting there ready to save us from our sin and yeah. and, and 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 make us new mm-hmm. right <laughs> take our disgusting hearts of stone that are by nature rebellious, God-hating hearts, factories of idols, right? And he's ready to make us new. He makes us new creations in him um, and, and saves us for that purpose, for his glory, mm. right? Saving us, this is this this is something I heard recently. Uh, I think it was from Vody, right? Um, perhaps. No, it was from uh, um, uh, Costi Hinn, right? Mm. Saving us, right? Saving the sinner, we're not the goal. We're not the end. We're not the end goal, right? God didn't save us for us. He saved us for his glory. Come on. It's for his glory. All of it's for his glory. Mm. So yes, judgment is coming. <laughs> right. And that leads you, you led directly into the next part of the confession, actually, because Christology be like this, right? So he's, he holds Christology this. be like this. Please put that on a t-shirt. That's it. There it is. There it is. Ladies and gentlemen, you, you heard it here. Uh, so he's the mediate, he's, he's the Lord, he's the only begotten eternal son, he's the only mediator between God and man, he is the threefold office of prophet, priest, and king, he's the head and the savior of the church, he is the heir of all things, he's the judge of the world, hmm. and now here's this next part, right, it pleased God in his eternal purpose, uh, talks about Christ, unto whom he did from all eternity, that's Ephesians 1, Give a people to be his seed and to be by him in time redeemed, called, justified, sanctified, and glorified. And so the one who is the judge of all the world is also the one who has come in time to redeem, call, justify, sanctify, and glorify a people, mm. his inheritance, his covenant members, right? That, that the covenant is in his blood. It is no longer that the priest goes and brings the, the, the Paschal lamb for atonement during the Passover and spills the innocent blood of the lamb um, and has to do this every year to atone for the sins of the nation, of the covenant people. No, right. now, once and for all, Christ has gone in to the heavenly places uh, mm. by his blood, in this covenant, in his blood. And he's That's the right. judge. <laughs> and the judge has gone and paid the price for the one who sits condemned. Right. That's the gospel. <laughs> right. Right. And that begs the question, was he successful? Oh, shoot. <laughs> uh, Insert <laughs> Calvinism. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but he was. <laughs> right. And that's why this, that's why the confession continues, right? The seat, the people that, that um, were given to him by the father, uh, that he can't lose even one, right? Mm. Um, I think that's John 6, right? He, he has chosen us from all eternity before the foundations of the earth, and in time, those of us whom he died for, whom he claimed to be his, right? And bear in mind, he chose Israel for what reason? It pleased him mm. to do so. Come on. Why does he choose the elect? It pleases him to do so. If you have an argument with that, well, I'll I'll turn you to the Apostle Paul who says, who are you, O man, mm. to answer back to God? Don't you dare, right? And so, in time, 
His people are redeemed, they're called, they're justified, they're sanctified, and ultimately we are glorified. And that's something that takes place in time, Yeah. right? And so for us, we see it a certain way, but when we look from God's perspective, mm. from a biblical perspective, we see that this is something that has already taken place, right? We, we, are, we are seated in the heavenly places, right? Already, but not yet. Come on. <laughs> right? We are, we are with Christ, and we will be with Christ, and that's it. We are we are saved and we are being saved and we will be saved. Come on. That's it. That's it. Also, uh, <laughs> go check out Reform Brotherhood uh, in the society because Tony and Jesse have been doing a mm. number of episodes recently on the covenant of redemption, uh, which talks about this exact thing uh, unto whom he did from all eternity give a people to be his seed. So go check those guys out uh, the last couple episodes on the covenant of redemption because they're really hammering this home and I think in a, in a very clear way and, and, a, and a helpful way. Um, but yeah, as we look at these t- these terms, right, as you, you stressed, it, it happens in time as far as the mm-hmm. execution of the plan. But like we, we've talked about this, right? How was Old Testament Israel saved? Are, are, are the, the believers who were faithful to the covenant and who are saved, who will see an eternity, um, under the mosaic economy were they saved by a different savior and even though baptists and presbyterians will differ in how we understand the, the mechanics the covenantal mechanics of how that works mm-hmm. I, I unless i'm wrong i think we would all say uh they're saved in christ yeah. just like we are it's just that they were looking forward and we're looking back at his at his finished work they were looking forward to a work that was yet to happen in time but their salvation is in christ yeah um not in those sacrifices. Those sacrifices uh, pointed to Christ. That's Hebrews, right? Just go read Hebrews yeah. again. Here's yeah. my annual plug to, to go read the book of Hebrews. Um, <laughs> but yeah, re- what, what, what's happening here? Redeemed, right? We are transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We are purchased, right? We are called. There's the outward calling we talk about, right? How can they believe unless they've uh, hurt, unless they've heard, how can they hear without the preacher, right? So right. We, we must be called, and that is the calling of the Spirit when we hear the gospel preached, right? That's the ordinary means God uses to call his people. And then it is justification, and this is our great Re- Reformation doctrine of justification by faith alone, in Christ alone, or as, as John Gerstner would famously say in his, uh, his lectures, uh, we're justified by Christ alone. Um, and the mm-hmm. reason being that what faith is the instrument of our justification. It, it's the, the instrument that links us to Christ by his mercy. But ultimately, we're, we're justified on the basis of Christ, right? And that's what justification by faith alone is all about. And then as you said, right, so we were saved. We were justified, right? Uh, we've, been, we've been brought out of darkness into light. And then we are being saved. We are being sanctified through this life, through the work of the Holy Spirit, the ongoing uh, progressive sanctification in the life of the believer. This is, and ultimately, this doctrine here, I think, is if you want to understand the actual heart of the controversy in the PCA around um, the revoice theology, which we I won't mm. dive into that right now because that's a whole other episode. And there's yep, a couple of people, there's a couple of people maybe, who I would maybe love. We should to, do a DT reacts to that. Well, well, and there's a couple of people who I would love to <laughs> to interview, um, who I think have a lot to say about that. Uh, but anyways, we'll get to that. There's, I mean, I have a lot to say. Oh, I know, but, but you know, other people. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and, but what does that come down to is a doctrine of progressive sanctification. And there's a difference between progressive sanctification and Christian, Christian perfectionism. There's a huge yes. chasm there. There's also a difference between progressive sanctification and the, I, I would say, I, w- I would agree that there is a prosperity gospel tendency to say, well, if you just pray harder, work harder, do this, 
then you're going to get these results exactly like a one-to-one. Sure. And, it, sure. and I want to be careful how I say that because obviously there are principles in scripture that when you, what you sow, you reap. Um, and yet at the same time, we all have the experience that Paul says, right? A wretched man that I am, the very thing I want to do, I don't do. And the thing that I hate, I do, right? We mm. all experience that in the life of the believer. And there's an amazing article. We talked about it a little uh, in the previous episode, so I won't belabor the point, but in the confessions, when it talks about sanctification, about the life of the believer and this ongoing war between the flesh and the spirit and that in our lives, and this resonates with scripture, I think this is doctrinally sound and it's experientially sound. We will go through periods where the flesh is winning that war, apparently, mm-hmm. yet the spirit will renew in us our zeal for the Lord and will bring us to repentance, not because we muster our way through it, but because God is faithful to his people, right? Because ultimately right. we come to this ending point in Christ we will be glorified. We will be saved. And, you know, I, we talk about these every week, but it's so important. It, it, it is essential. And the modern church has completely failed in this area because I, I, I think most of the errors of legalism and antinomianism, most of these problems are a conflation of one or more of these categories. If you collapse justification and sanctification, if you collapse sanctification and glorification, you end up in a lot of trouble very quickly. And uh, keeping them distinct, as the Bible does, I think, is a very useful thing. And, it, and it's tied directly to our Christology, our mediator. I don't know if you have anything else to say on Article 1. I think we're actually going to get to Article 2 tonight. <laughs> yeah, I think we should. And wow. it's interesting, the, the Westminster in the London Baptists are a little different. Um, the London Baptist is a bit longer. Shall, uh, we, shall we read the uh, the abridged prior yeah, version? Start first. with the abridged. <laughs> yeah, the abridged version that came out uh, that came out first. Okay, so this is Article 2 of uh, Chapter <laughs> 8 of the Westminster Confession of Faith. <laughs> yeah, you guys just copied the homework and changed a few things, so it wasn't obvious. Um, so this is Article 2. an A uh, instead of an A minus. <laughs> oh, bro. You had to say it. Okay, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this without further distraction from the peanut gallery, and then I will let you read uh, Article 2 of the, the London yeah. Baptist, and then we can talk about it. And I know Let's we're not going to get through this whole one this week, so no, more of this will get chance. bumped into we a later week. We talk too much. We do, but it's good. It's fruitful. We love it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Chapter 8, Article 2. The Son of God, the second person in the Trinity, being very and eternal God of one substance and equal with the Father, did when the fullness of time was come take upon him man's nature with all the essential properties and common infirmities thereof, yet without sin, being conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost in the womb of the Virgin Mary, of her substance, so that two whole, perfect, and distinct natures, the Godhead and the manhood, were inseparably joined together in one person, without conversion, composition, or confusion, which person is very God and very man, yet one Christ, the only mediator between God and man. Amen. Whoa. I'm really glad we started with Chalcedon a couple weeks ago because, uh, as you can see, our confessional tradition is literally just straight mm-hmm. up restating the Chalcedonian definition and the Nicene yeah. Creed uh, because biblical well, orthodoxy yeah, they, doesn't change. <laughs> right. They both draw from from the previous documents, yeah. right? Um, this is the way. Article 2 here in the London Baptist, a little bit longer. It says, The Son of God, the second person in the Holy Trinity, being very and eternal God, the brightness of the Father's glory, of one substance and equal with him who made the world, who upholdeth and governeth all things that he hath made, did, when the fullness of time was come, take upon him man's nature, 
with all the essential properties and common infirmities thereof, yet without sin, being conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary, the Holy Spirit coming down upon her, and the power of the Most High overshadowing her. And so was made of a woman of the tribe of Judah, of the seed of Abraham and David according to the Scriptures, so that two whole, perfect, and distinct natures were inseparably joined together in one person, without conversion, composition, or confusion, which person is very God and very man, yet one Christ, and the only mediator between God and man. Mm. So some interesting additions there. Yeah. Um, I, I like, uh, I, again, I, they're both very useful. Um, yeah. I think the additions in this case um, are kind of nice. They're kind of helpful. Um, talking about um, the history uh, of Christ's uh, genealogy, sure. right? Coming from the seed of Abraham uh, and David, according to the scriptures. Right, talking about the spirit coming down upon in overshadowing Mary, right? Um, uh, just some interesting, uh, interesting additions that um, aren't necessarily essential but helpful uh, in this case. Yeah. So I dig. <clears throat> yeah, there's no way we're getting through all this tonight. That's okay. No. The the good thing is we already <laughs> did a whole episode on elements of the Chalcedonian definition, so some of this is is review. Mm-hmm. Right, and we did mm-hmm. our Trinity episodes, and obviously there's going to be more because we we can't stop, won't stop. So if you want to dig into the doctrine <laughs> of the Trinity and theology proper a little more, check out our episodes from last year in the the late '60s and mid '70s. Um, I think seventy Good years. Good I think, years. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think episode seventy five <laughs> was the last one that we did uh, on theology proper last year. So um, go check those out. Check out our interview with Dr. Barrett on simply Trinity um, to get a refresher on that. So I won't I won't dwell there too too far, other than to say. The confessional documents are cohesive here, right? In our in our theological statements that we're saying Christ is the second person of the Trinity in chapter two, mm-hmm. and then when we get to chapter eight on Christology, we're repeating that because it's important and it's all interconnected. We're not losing sight of Indeed. that, and right. um, I I think that's helpful when we speak about the incarnation. We can't. I heard somebody say, we can run into problems when we overemphasize the humanity or the deity of Christ. If we, if we focus so much on one to the exclusion of the other, we run into problems. And also we get into weird questions uh, that are that are not not without merit, but ultimately can can cause more problems than they're worth when we start sure. to reflect on the natures, the dual nature of Christ in his <clears throat> earthly ministry. We can start to get into some weird Nestorian tendencies or Eutychian tendencies, whether we mean it or not. Well, it's important to recognize that God only gave us the information we need, Come on. not everything that we want to know, mm. right? The scriptures give us everything that we need to be fully equipped men and women of God. Yeah. Right. According to according to Timothy. This right? is the uh, way. Paul speaking to Timothy. Um, so there's everything that we need there for our salvation or uh, our apologia. Right. Mm-hmm. Or um, yeah. our sanctification. However, <laughs> there's a lot of questions we're not going to have the answer to until sure. glory. But I think and the I last think line of the confession is helpful. Or this article is helpful. Right. Which person is very God and very man yet one Christ. And I think that that really has helped me personally. And it may not help you guys, but it's helped me personally to settle and to, to rest easy. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, we're speaking about um, two natures united in one person. And nothing, nothing changed in his Godhead, right? He didn't cease to be God at any point. He didn't become less divine. And yet he took on this fully human nature, right, of Mary's substance, 
her nature, right? The, the, the man's nature with all the essential properties and common infirmities thereof, yet without sin. So he had every, every way like us except for our sin nature. Because he was not born of mm. the federal head Adam. Come on. With original sin. This is the way. He was born of a virgin for that purpose. That's it, man. Right? So that he would be sinless. He wouldn't inherit our sin yes. nature. So. Yeah. And this whole idea, right? These two whole, perfect, and distinct natures, the Godhead, the manhood, inseparably joined in one person. The confessions are driving this point home, just like Chalcedon did, one, the one person of Christ. And so when we read the New Testament, yeah, we can we can kind of speculate a little bit, right? That I think further in, uh, at least in Chalcedon, I think further in our confessional statements, it talks about each nature doing what is appropriate to it. Like the divine nature doesn't suffer because it can't, because divinity is impassable. Likewise, divine nature doesn't become hungry or tired. Like that is obviously a reflection of the humanity of Christ. However, we're not talking about a schizophrenic or a, or a uh, Nestorian Christ where we're dealing with two different persona or, or personalities, right? It's a it's the one person of Jesus Christ. And so when we read the New Testament, yeah, we, we can reflect on those things. But at the end of the day, we should we should be in awe of our Savior and yes. glory in the mystery of his person. I think that that is... Uh, can be a stumbling block. I know it was for me when I was first really seriously starting to dig into this, but I think that these these statements in our confessions are very helpful to remind us one Christ, the only mediator between God and man, right? Uh, it's it's being driven home again and again. Uh, and also for, for more on that uh, sin nature, go check out our, our sin episodes in the, the late 30s, Is Man a Bad Guy, uh, Martiology, um, the fall of man like go check those out because i think we with eric especially 37 we we got into some good stuff there um that's really helpful yeah. here we we had a long talk about this exact statement about the vir- the virgin birth specifically yeah um yeah. well let's go back to the beginning of article two no <laughs> <laughs> yeah you, you, right. yeah you're right the son of god right so let's just start there right christ is the son of god he is, by nature, the Son of God. That is how he has disclosed himself. That is how we understand who he is, his role amongst the Trinity. Right? He is the Son, the second person in the Holy Trinity, Right, in that order, being very and eternal God. Right? What does that mean, very and eternal? Right? He is fully God. He's not partly God. Nope. He is not um, made up of a third of God. He is very God. He is fully 100% God and eternal, right? Christ was not created. He was not, what, right? We, we use the term begotten mm-hmm. when we're talking of uh, Christ. We use the term um, begotten. However, he was not created, right? Uh, he's the firstborn, right? What does that mean? Well, that's his preeminence, right? That's That's his status, right? He was not literally first created. Um, this is something that uh, many cults make the error of, right? That Christ is in some way created, right? The Mormons say he was born, right? The Jehovah's Witnesses say he was the first creation and then he created all other things, right? Um, they change John 1, one, right? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was a God, right? They have to, they have to make a God there because he was he was a created being, right? Right. But we we see historically, uh, orthodoxy has never taught such a thing. Yeah. Right. He is eternal, as far back as you want to go. 
he has always been. Um, we see it in Genesis 1, right? When everything was created, right? The brightness of the Father's glory. What does that mean, Blake? The brightness of the Father's mm, glory. Come on. Uh, <laughs> bro, <laughs> you just hit me with that, like, like over the head, like, oh, oh my gosh, <laughs> my guy. Um, I think there's a couple things to be seen there, right? When we look in the New Testament, we don't see it often necessarily, but we get little windows into the internal relationship of the persons of the Trinity. And we see the Father glorifying the Son, and we see the Son glorifying the Father, right? And we see the Holy Spirit bringing light to the people of God that they may glory in this triune God. Um I think as we read these passages, we see not a Gnostic conception of like God kind of hiding behind things and then and then the the demiurge, uh, you know, working into the world, um, but rather we do see uh, what, what um, Adonis Vidu talked about in our Inseparable Operations episode. We talk, we see divine missions, which are distinct from operations, right? We see that uh, even though all three persons of the Trinity are active in something, there are distinct missions. And it is the Son's mission in the Incarnation in particular to make known the wonderful works of God and to glorify the Father, right? We see that. And to save the people. So I think there's a couple things at play there. And I'm slightly spitballing because you hit me with that out of nowhere and I'm like, yeah. uh. <laughs> so I'm, I'm like a deer in the headlights uh, right now. But um, I don't know, Justin, what, what do you think? There's my initial... Uh, there's my initial cuss, but 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 I think I think I'm I think I'm getting to the the thrust of that with divine missions and divine appropriations that there's something distinct about the son as the final prophet as the final um right in these last days he's spoken to us by his son right the sure. son himself is the revelation to us of God. Well, in, I think also, I, I think also right we understand that no one can see the Father and live right. His glory is too much for us to behold. And yet, we were able to look upon Christ, right? There were men that looked upon Christ. Mm -hmm. Christ was God incarnate, right? If if he and the, and the Father share glory, right, and we were able to look upon him, right, the brightness of the Father's glory must have been visible, right? People mm -hmm. knew Christ, right? He spoke with authority like no one had ever seen, yeah. right? He, he, he rose from the dead Come on. In, in, in a glorified body. Yeah. Right. So, so in a very real sense as well, not just in his, in his, in his mission, right. But also in his nature, I think he displayed the glory of the father in a tangible way. Yeah. Right? He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. And yet yeah. we know that if you looked upon the father in his fullness, you would die because his glory was too great. Yeah. Right. So, um, I think that's an interesting line. Yeah. But I think it's a good one. And yeah. it's and it's theologically packed like every word yeah. in these confessions. I uh I love Shylin's lyric uh in uh, one of his more recent songs. Uh he said uh trust in Jesus the ultimate undercover boss. But right like bro, <laughs> it's so good. You know, and, and and like any analogy, if you push that too far it gets heretical yeah. and weird. Yeah, but yeah. but on the that's surface, hilarious. man, 
it's so good because what's happening in incarnation is he's humbling himself. He's mm-hmm. taking upon himself the form of a servant and he is displaying to us in flesh and blood the glory of God Yeah, in a way that we, no human being, no, no mere man raised up out of Adam's seed could ever do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, you're absolutely um, right. And it's, it's so good, man. Oh my gosh. I love it. It's wild though. I was like, uh, it's amazing. And also I was thinking, um, as you're talking about Jesus who raised from the dead in, uh, so early in his book, Mike Horton recounts an incident where he was debating with Bill Nye, and he says, Nye came in with all the smug, atheistic arguments. You know, the, the religion is the opiate of the people. All religions are the same. They're just, uh, feed, he didn't use the word fideism, but it was that kind of idea, right? It's just, it's just emotionalism. It's manipulation. It's this and that, blah, 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 blah. And he goes on for his tirade, closes. And Mike Horton shocks Bill, Bill Nye and everybody else by saying, well, I basically agree with everything Bill just said. And everyone's like, oh, but you're this Christian theologian. And he says, so let me talk to you about Jesus Christ who raised from the dead and goes through the entire historic <laughs> apologia of the resurrection. And he's like, Bill Nye was clearly frustrated because he didn't have an answer for any of that because Christianity first and foremost is rooted in history and facts and truth, right? We're not, we're, we're not rooted in mysticism and fantasy and imagination. We're rooted in historical events, Right. This, right. this Jesus we worship, he entered into history, right? Here it is, right? In, right? In, in the fullness of time, he took upon himself man's nature, right? This whole work of Christ takes place in time, in history, in flesh, literally, right? Incarnate. And that's the beauty of what we believe. We're not caught up in some mysticism or some fideism or some like... Uh, you know, well, just close your eyes and hope for the best. It's like, no, we have, we have historical documentation of the work of God, the wonderful works of God to borrow from Herman Bavink, right? We are to glory in them because God has done things in our world, in our history that we can look back at and they're verifiable. And, uh, you know, at that point, yeah, it's Romans one. They know God exists. They suppress the truth in unrighteousness so that they can be their own gods and worship the create the creature rather than the creator. But anyways, your your comment about uh Christ resurrected made me reminisce about that. And it's so good. Just you know what? The resurrection is a historical fact. Deal Indeed with it. It is. And <laughs> deal with it. <laughs> yeah, I was waiting for that. <laughs> there it is. These sound effects are wild. Yeah. I mean, we could we could probably go on all night. Probably Just trying to think of where we could wrap this up here. Um, I, I mean, I feel good. I feel good yeah. in the fact that uh, a lot of Article Two is basically resta- restating Chalcedon. So I, I actually think we might we might be able to wrap up Article Two. Okay. I think so. Um, yeah, I, and I think we'll save Article Three for another week uh, as we continue through Christology. But um, I guess we can close up some thoughts on this. Like, I think it's really really amazing when, when we talk about the humility of christ we talk about the emptying of himself i think it's it's tempting to run afoul and to to, to mistake that as saying oh he he wasn't full deity you know he set aside his godhood well, well no that's that's heresy stop it knock it off um but what did he do he set aside his rights and privileges and in his humiliation of taking upon himself man's nature with all the essential properties and common infirmities thereof like jesus got Jesus was tired. He became hungry. 
I think it's very reasonable based upon what the Bible teaches us about Christ that he probably had a head cold. He probably had the flu. Like, he probably had the stomach bug. He, he experienced what it is to be human. He experienced right. our suffering. He, right. he took upon himself, without losing or changing anything of his essential divine nature, he took upon himself, hypostatically united to the, to the hypostasis of the Son, a full human nature and experienced our full humanity. So our mediator is not one who can't sympathize with our weakness. He knows what it is to be hungry and thirsty and tired and to be tempted in every way yet without sin. Yeah, he um, he experienced the fallen world, right? Um, the effects of sin yet without sin, mm. right? That 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 is an incredible juxtaposition to be in, right? When you consider who God is. What a condescension, right? For God to become man. What a condescension that is. Mm. But First Timothy 2.5 says there is one God and one mediator between God and men, and that is the man, Jesus Christ. Right? Christ, his title, not his name, his title, Jesus the Christ, the only mediator. There is no other. Right? There is no other name under heaven by which man must be saved. Right? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man, no man comes to the Father except through me. Mm. That's Come it. On. He's the door. There's no other door. There's no other man. There's no other way. Your works aren't going to save you. Praying to dead people is not going to save you. because Jesus is the way, right. the truth, and the life. I couldn't help it. I'm sorry. Oh, and just like that. I'm not really sorry. Guys. It's so good. Listen, we appreciate you. We love you. We want you to know God, to love God, to serve the brotherhood. Mm, come on. <laughs> and um and to advance the kingdom. So This is it. Guys, if you want some more of us, if you want to see more of us. If you want to participate with us, guys, join us on social media. Do it. Facebook, Distilling Theology. Search it. You'll find a page. You'll find a group. Do them both. I dare you. <laughs> I dare you. It's good. <laughs> Check us out on Instagram at Distilling Theology. Get some sweet pictures. Check us out on Twitter at Distilling T. Not like the not the drink, but like the letter. Uh, yeah, distilling theology if you want to see too the long. occasional yeah if you want to if you want to see the occasional uh, dismantling of heresy uh guys uh, join us on uh, whatever social media platform you want i mean you don't you don't have to but um but you should this is not a command this is an invitation this is not conscious <laughs> binding yeah <laughs> uh but we'd 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 give you a high five uh, uh virtually virtual high that. five that's right we engage. i mean um, someone yeah. someone while we were recording asked me for a, a cocktail recommendation and i wasn't going to not give yeah. it to them so you know i mean right like That's if it. they want to be part of the inner sanctum as it were Ooh. the immediate family where can they join us well i'm waiting for this track to dial down so i no, can bring the next one up just <laughs> let, let it go, go. Oh, are we doing this? Is this happening this way? It. Oh this man, is this is this is uh, this is a first. I'm going to be thrown off. I don't know if I'm going to be able to to get through 
uh, our tag, but you know what? Uh, I'm waiting for this to build up so I can actually crescendo it because uh, I'm stalling. But you know what? Currently, there are some folks that are watching us live. They can see our faces. They can see our gaffes and our fails, and uh, they're here with us as we listen to this power ballad from uh, the movie we're both super stoked on. Um, but you can join us at patreon.com slash distillingtheology. Starting at $4.99 per month, you'll get access to early release episodes, video streams, as well as a discount at shopdistillingtheology.com. And I'm going to say it again, guys. You can join us on Patreon. If you join us at $14.99 per month, you'll get early releases, video streams, as well as some additional bonus content. And after your first three months, you get a Distilling Theology mug. But wait, there's more. If you feel the need, the need for good glassware, join us at $29.99 per month. And after three months, rather than a mug, you'll get one of our exclusive Distilling Theology Frosted Glen Karen glasses. They are spectacular, they are epic. They're awesome. And if you join us at $49.99 per month, and there's a handful of folks that we are so, so grateful for that have done this, after three months, you'll get a pair of these Glencairn glasses. Guys, we are so excited to send it, uh, full send, as it were, uh, with those glasses. And uh, I love it, man. I love drinking from this glass. I was drinking from it all night tonight. It's super good. Those of you at $49.99 and above, you guys are the true mavericks. You are the top guns of Distilling Oh my theology. gosh. You can we be my wingman any day. Appreciate you. <laughs> Yo. Uh, Justin, now, we, now, now I'm going to flip the script. Oh. Since we're doing this, Justin, uh, if folks want more podcast content, more confessional, doctrinally sound podcast mm. content, what can they do? Y'all, if you're a little bit sick of us, but only a little bit. But only a little. And you want a little variety because variety is the spice of life. It is. Head on over to reformpodcasts.com. Join the Society of Reform Podcasters. There's a long list here. I'm going to read off some of the uh, folks uh, who who are part of the society uh, that you can listen to. Uh, Every day there is content just dropping left and right. Um, Some of the roll call here is the Five Points Church Planting Podcast, The Assurance of Pardon, The Baptist Broadcast, Bobcast, Distilling Theology. Great, guys. Fast God Stuff. Fox Den, Grace and Peace Radio, The Particular Baptist Podcast, The Reformed Brotherhood, Reformed Raza, Reformed Standard, Restless, Small Town Theologian, and The Steady Anchor Podcast. Y'all, it just keeps growing and growing and growing. Check it out, Reformed Podcasts with an S dot com. You will get more content than your body has room for. That's it. You won't be able to keep up. And as I recommended earlier, check out, in light of our episodes, check out the Reformed Brotherhood's recent episodes on the Covenant of Redemption because uh, it's rock-solid stuff, man. Uh, it is. And uh, it's super good. I'm just really enjoying these different musical cues. It is throwing me I'm off. In. I don't know how to handle it. But I know that whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Soli Deo Gloria. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Distilling Theology. We'll see you next time. <laughs> oh, what? Oh, that I'm- was.
was a cinematic masterpiece. I'm so confused. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm going to make a little note in here that we did actually finish article two. That was fantastic.